Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. This morning we've got a lot of scripture um, to set up our year. And so I really want us to dive into the Word and, uh, and we're really going to grab hold of something this morning. Um, the Bible declares that the Word of God will not return void, uh, so we can expect great things this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your Word. And Lord, I thank you that there's going to be fruit from this Word this morning. Lord, I thank you that you'll glorify your Word in our hearts this morning. Open our eyes of understanding, Lord, and let us catch a hold of what you would have for us. Lord, I pray that, Lord, if uh, what, I've, what I'm saying this morning is known to many people, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will quicken something to them for them to take home and live in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've heard lots of people say, maybe you've said it, maybe you've heard other people say it, that they don't want to do another year like last year, uh, that they, they really feel like, oh, I just don't want to do another year like last year. And maybe this morning, that's actually why you're here. You're thinking, well, you know, I got a bit slack at the end of last year. I don't want to do another year like last year, so I want to intentionally be present at church. And uh, if that's you this morning, well done. <laughs> it's uh, week three, and, and so even if this is your first week, one out of three is really good. And, um, and, but this concept this morning, if we'll grab a hold of it, it will actually change our physical well-being, and that's great. It's great to, for something to change our physical well-being, but it's actually also a spiritual concept that if we can grab a hold of, it will revolutionize our outlook on life. It will change everything about the way that we live our Christian life. Uh, it'll change us physically if we grab a hold of it. It'll increase our longevity in whatever we're doing. Um, it'll make you more even-tempered. Who needs a little bit of that? Don't nudge the person next to you. Um, and, uh, and it'll increase your effectiveness. But also spiritually, it'll increase your longevity. It'll increase your effectiveness. And it'll increase your consistency. So that's a good thing. I'd like us to get a hold of that this morning. And it starts right back at the beginning. Its origin is back at the beginning. And um, I don't have uh, Genesis 1 and 2 in my Bible. They're kind of, I didn't like them. So um, <laughs> not really, it's an old Bible. Um, so we're going to throw it up on the screen this morning. Genesis chapter 2 uh, and verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So he's God, he's created the heavens and the earth. And, he, and uh, the, in his creation account, it says that he, he looks around at everything that he does. And as he does it, he says, well, that's good. I like that. That's good. I like that. And then he gets to ask creating humanity and says, that's very good. You look at the person next to you and say, yes, that is very good. You are. Oh, baby. Um, and so he said, that's very good. And then he rested on the seventh day because he had finished all his work. His work was done. And so he ceased because it was done. And he rested. And he said, I'm going to call this day holy. I declare this day to be holy and what God declares is. And so he said, this day is holy. Now, that day, on that day, that was holy. But he didn't just want that day to be holy. He wanted to institute a practice for his people. And so when the time came that he called Abraham, uh, you may have heard of him, Abraham. He's got many sons and many sons has Father Abraham. He actually is a guy and he came and, and he went to, uh, he called, got called out by God. 
And God said, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a nation. And this nation is, is going to shine for me. It's going to be a nation that does my word, does my will. And through you, all nations will be blessed. Through that nation that I create, the rest of the nations are going to be blessed. They're going to catch a concept of who God is and what he's like and what he does through the way that you guys live your life. And if you live your life that way, then I'll bless you. And they'll see the kind of blessing, full of favor, God, that I am. And so he says, uh, I've got to give you some practices by the time it gets down and the nation's grown and it's down to Moses' time. He says, I need to give you some laws, some practices to put into place so that you can be blessed. Now, the law that God handed down was absolutely phenomenal. If you, uh, after some really great bedtime reading, you can read Leviticus and... Um, <laughs> Maybe asleep in no time. Um, but, but Leviticus has all these laws. There are laws about sanitation. There are laws about health. There are family law, international law, contract law, the law of torts, um, corporate law, labor law. All these laws contained in this revolution. There were no laws like that. And God hands down these laws to these people because he's saying, I want to bless you. I want to create a nation that can be set on a hill, that can be a city on a hill. And through you, I want to shine to all nations. So in Exodus chapter 20, he turns that day that he said and declared holy, he turns it into a practice. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says this. Uh, this is in the middle of the Ten Commandments. There's five you shalls, there's five you shall nots. And this is the fourth you shall. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Alien, not like area, what's that called? 52, 68, 93, 51. Okay, um, alien as in like um, refugee kind of person. Um, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, God had to put this in law because when he kind of just suggested it as a, as a thing that they do earlier, they, they didn't do it. In, let's go back a couple of chapters to chapter 16 and God's providing for the people of Israel in the desert. He's giving them bread from heaven, manna from heaven. And in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they'll follow my instructions. Um, on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Why? Because he wanted them to rest on the seventh day. Let's go down to verse 19. It says, then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it till morning. He said, you were supposed to go out every day, so don't keep any till morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. You see, they were relying every single day on what God had for them for that day until the sixth day. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers, which my Bible says is about four and a half liters for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out so that people rested on the seventh day. Pretty simple instruction. But when people woke up on the seventh day, they're like, well, we don't know. We don't know if the provision's going to be there for the next day, so we better go out and gather some more. And they went out and tried to gather some more, and God's like, no, no. And so put it into law later on. I want you to rest on the seventh day. See, God's heart in this is, will you trust me? Will you trust me to work six days and rest a seventh? Will you trust me in that? Will you trust me to provide for you in that? And the heart of man is always, God, I don't know if you're holding out on me. I don't know if you're enough. I don't know if what you've done is quite enough. I remember when Daz and I were early in ministry and we just worked. We both had full-time jobs and were pastoring at the same time and we just worked all the time. We never had a day off. And um, I'm so grateful for another pastor that said to Daz, you know what the problem is, Daz? You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith that God will look after you. You think that it's on you to make stuff happen. And so you feel like you need to work all the time. You see, pastoring like never finishes. You don't get to the end of the day and go, well, that's the week done. There's, I wonder what I'm going to do next week. It's not, it's not unique to pastoring. I know many of you have jobs like that. If you're a farmer, you know that feeling. It never, ever ends. But we just thought that, well, because it's not ended, we need to keep going. If the work's still there, we need to keep working. But God said, no, you need to rest. I've given you rest. And today, I encourage you that if you're physically not taking rest, if you're physically thinking that your provision hinges on you, then you're actually not trusting God in the way that He wants you to trust Him. And I challenge you with the words that that pastor challenged us, you don't have enough faith Increase your faith, grow your faith, and trust God that He will actually have your back. Make sure that you rest. Maybe you're a typical Aussie and you're like, yeah, days off aren't a problem. <laughs> I've had my four weeks, my 10 sick days, <laughs> and my public holidays, and I'm um, going leave without pay next week. And it's January <laughs> 13. <laughs> Maybe that's not a problem for you, and that's great. That's great that you get rest. Maybe you need to be encouraged to work a little bit harder, but that might be another message another day. But God instituted this practice, but he also said it was a place. He said to Joshua, so it started with a day, it was originated with a day, and then it moved to a practice, but it also was a place because he said to Joshua in the Bible, I want you to take these people and, and I'm taking you to a place of rest. I'm taking you to a place where no more do you have to constantly work and drive out the people from the territories that I'm giving you. I'm going to give you a time of peace. I'm going to give you a time of rest and a place of rest. But we read in the New Testament that it's so much more than a day. And it's so much more than a practice and it's so much more than a place that actually God has ordained for us a rest that is a way of life. And, uh, and so we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4 to look at that this morning. Rest that is a way of life. Can you just pause for a second and imagine living your life from rest? Oh, doesn't it just do your heart good to think of living from rest, not striving, not struggling, not wondering, not churned up, but actually living from rest. Well, I pray that God would show us how this morning. So Hebrews chapter 4 starts like this, therefore, now I was taught about reading the Bible that whenever you see a therefore, you need to stop and see what it's there for. So let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, oh, 
Okay, well, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay careful attention, therefore. Oh, come on. <laughs> let's go back to Genesis. No, okay, let's go. We'll just go Hebrews chapter 1, right? He's establishing, first of all, that the Son, Jesus Christ, is the exact representation of the being of God, that all of God in His fullness dwelt in Jesus Christ, that, that whatever questions they have about Jesus, <clears throat> you, can, you can just know that He is God. That's what He's establishing here. He's also establishing that, that Jesus is superior to the angels. We might go, that's good to know. Why? Why do we need to know that? Well, clearly back then there was an angel obsession going on. And maybe you don't have an angel obsession, but maybe your cousin who lives in Nimbin does. And lots of people glorify angels. And, and Paul's establishing, or the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, is establishing here that actually, that actually Jesus is much bigger, better, more glorified than any angel and that angels are simply ministering spirits that are sent to minister to us. They're at Jesus' command. And so um, if you wondered if you have a guardian angel, no, you don't. you got heaps. <laughs> you got heaps of them. And, uh, and God is sending them to minister to your needs. So chapter 2, he then says, we've got to pay careful attention. If that's who Jesus is, we have to pay careful attention to him. And, uh, and let's make sure that we know who he is. He is magnificent. And it goes on in chapter 2 to say, let's also know that he shared in our humanity. He was tempted in every way that we are, he goes on to say. And then in chapter 3, he says that not only is better than the angels, he's also better than Moses and uses that as a kind of segue to slip into the fact that the people of Israel never entered the rest of God. And we might go, well, that's a nice historical fact. What has that got to do with us today? Well, the writer of Hebrews is trying to establish that there's much more to the rest than they even knew about. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. So there's an element of rest that requires faith. For uh, verse 3, now we who have believed, that's the faith part, we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work, the passage we just read. And verse 5, and again in the passage above he says they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. So there's a rest that we need to believe in order to enter into and that rest is, a, is something that's amazing and something much more than a day and it's something even much more than the place that they talked about and it's maybe even more than the practice. So there's a rest to be entered into that requires believing and it says they didn't go in because of their disobedience. And, and we kind of, like, believing, we set that up against disobedience. And we go, yeah, well, like, if you believe in God, then you obey Him. But the disobedience this is talking about is specifically unbelief. They couldn't enter the rest of God because they had unbelief. They didn't believe that what God has was enough, just like the people of Israel who began to mumble and grumble in the desert because they thought, God, are you really going to take care of us? And we might not mumble and grumble against God because, hey, we go to church, we know that's wrong. But in our hearts, we still carry the attitude of, yeah, but I've got to do what I've got to do in order to keep this whole thing going and working. Verse 7, therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today. 
When a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So God's inviting us into a rest and he says the way to get there is to believe in him. The way to not get there is to not believe that he's able and that he can do it and that he has everything in the palm of his hand. And, and actually we will not get there if we choose to believe that we have everything in hand. If you think that it depends on you in any way, then you will not enter that restful place. Now, I know the kind of things that we have going on in our heads, it's like, well, like, do you suggest that I don't show up to work because, you know, if I live in a restful place, then, then that's going to be the way to go? Do you suggest that I don't do good because if I'm just going to enter a restful place, that then, then that's the way to live? You know, was the week that Nordo and Bren just spent at Chaffee cooking for kids in the mind-boggling heat, was that all for nothing because, you know, they're doing it because they love God and want to please God? Is, is that all for nothing? Well, the thing about I know about Nordo and Bren is that they're doing it because they're living from that place that they love God and they know who He is and so it flows out of them. And that's what happens when we enter into that place of rest. That kind of stuff just begins to flow out of us. But it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's not a compulsion, oh my goodness, I've got to do this. It's a, are you serious? Yeah, I'm there. I get to join in the privilege of being part of that. I get to go to crazy countries and I get to, I get to do that. I don't have to do that. Yes, God, there's a, there's a sense of duty and weight about that, but I get to do it because I love you, God. How cool is he that he would spark that in us? Okay, let me, this is um, like, these are big passages this morning. So Romans, it says, in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, it says, If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, then so are the branches. This is referring to um, a, a practice called teruma, whereby they would offer the first that they had, and then everything else would be made holy by them offering that first and sanctifying that to God, consecrating that to God. So it says that if some of the branches have been broken off and you... The wild olive shoot, so this is talking about us specifically, us as a people group, everyone in this room, unless if you're a Jew this morning, not you, but all of us, all the rest of us. It said if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, that's us, have been grafted in among the others, now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Sure, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. And if they don't if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to the nature, contrary to your nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? 
Whew, horticulture 101 right there. It's a, there's a lot in, in these passages and, and they're, they're big concepts, but essentially it's saying that, that the Jews, they didn't believe. They didn't believe in Jesus. And so they were actually cut away. And then us who did believe in Jesus, who were never part of that nation to start with, but it was always God's intention to include everybody, were then grafted into that tree. That the, that the root, and, and, and it's not because of us, because we're not holy. Don't know if you realize, don't know if you looked in the mirror lately, don't know if you checked out your thought process lately, but you are not holy. But because the root is holy, then the branches are made holy. What even? How can we possibly be holy? And yet God declares that we are. And if God declares that we are like that day, he called that day holy. So does anyone suggest, oh, God, that day you called holy, not, not holy, God. Sorry. No, no. If God declares something holy, it is holy. So if God declares that you are holy this morning, it doesn't matter what you feel, you are holy. And now you just now need to allow God to work that in you. You need to stay connected to that root and allow that holiness that God says now seeps up to the branches and, and don't allow yourself to be cut off. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4 and, and it gets real here because it's like it's massive. Like the fact that we're just called holy and we just rest in the holiness that God has given us, that is phenomenal. I can't even, I can't even deal. But then it, it gets really real here. And this is a passage that lots of you would be familiar with and, and you're probably like not used to it in this context. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation from God's sight is hidden. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So on the one hand, I was really glad about that good news that we had, that we're just made holy and we don't need to do anything. And then I just heard that, oh my gosh, every single thought and attitude of my heart is judged and laid bare before God. Yikes. Let me tell you how that plays out. But I've got to read verse 14 to 16 first. So we've got this rest that we just got to enter into by faith. Then we've got all our thoughts and intents of our heart laid bare. And then we've got verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. For we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He, how, like, uh, the plan is phenomenal. The plan is so full and rich and beautiful that, that by faith we enter into this thing that we could never have done by ourselves and, and, and then we just rest in that. But, but then all the attitudes and thoughts of our heart are laid bare. But because we have Jesus, He's able to sympathize with us and, and nothing comes as a surprise to Him even when it comes as a surprise to us. For example, on holidays, I was at a cafe. Surprise, shocker. Um, <laughs> and I was having my quiet time. And I, this is how I do it. And if you're looking for a way to do it, I find this way works for me. If you're heading into the new year going, I really want to read the Bible more, this way really works for me. I'm just working through a book at a time. I'll randomly sometimes pick a book or I'll go, I've had enough. I don't know if you're allowed to say that. I've had enough of the Old Testament. I need a New Testament book right now. And I'll work through a book at a time. But I'm literally only just going from heading to heading at a minimum. Like I can read more if I like, but I need to do a heading to a heading when I sit down to do my quiet time. And I write in my Bible, 
I underline because that helps me actively read. If I've just got to read it, I might tune out. I might vague out. But if I'm actively reading, I'm underlining, I'm scribbling notes, I'm writing question marks, and I'll just go from one heading to the next. Then I'll write down my prayer because also might vague out mid-prayer. It's possible. And, um, and then I'll go to the verse of the day on the YouVersion app and I write that out as well. Then I go to a plan on the YouVersion app and I read the plan and then that's it. I'm done. The whole thing maybe takes 20 minutes and I might feel led to do more, but I make sure that I do that every day. It works for me and maybe it'll work for you. So I'm doing my quiet time reading Jeremiah at the moment and then I just start writing my prayers about the new year. Kind of, God, thank you for last year. There was some stuff, but, you know, we're heading into a new year and thank you for that. And all of a sudden, I just got this, there was no voice from heaven. I'm going to say God said because I believe it was him, but I heard nothing. It was just this real sense, all of a sudden, that every problem that I went through last year was because of my pride. Oh, <laughs> ouch. And um, thank you, God, that you love me so much that you want to discipline me, but gee, and everything was because of my pride. And you know what? I didn't think I was prideful. I was actually really proud of my humility. <laughs> I, did, I did not think I was prideful. And as so often happens, then the verse of the day came. And the last line of the verse of the day was, let us then not be conceited, provoking one another or being jealous of one another. And God just showed me like, Bron, your pride leads to you provoking other people and it leads to jealousy. Like, whoa. Okay. I confess my pride, God. And I was like, oh, I'm aware now. That's good. That's dealt with. Thank you, Lord. Got home and an incident happened where I was churned up. But I was like, that's all right. No, hand it over to you, God. Went to bed, woke up in the middle of the night with it churning away in my heart. Have you ever experienced that? You just wake up. It's immediately on your mind and it was churning my guts up. And I'm like, oh, God, I really, I thought I'd let this go to you. And, and instantly I knew that the whole reason I was wrestling again was because of my pride. I'm like, God, please just take it. I surrender it to you. Take it, Lord. I surrender it to you. Now, I've, I had surrendered it back on my holiday. I surrendered it again in the middle of the night that night. I don't know how many times I'm going to need to surrender it. But I'm so grateful that I've got a high priest who is able in every way to sympathize with my weaknesses. And I'm able just to enter into his presence with confidence and, and find that grace in my time of need. And so I'll keep surrendering it. But I don't need to live in this place of striving. You know, once upon a time I would have gone, oh, I'm an idiot and I'm horrible. I can't preach on Sunday. I can't do this. And no one should ever ask me anything. I'm hopeless. And, and I, I would be like, I've got to, you know, maybe I should fast. Well, I, like that's a good practice. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But, but maybe like I just need to fast or maybe I need to pray more. And, and I'd be all these, what do I need to do more to get rid of this pride in me, Lord? But, but he suggests that I just need to enter the rest of God. And I just need to go, God, it's you, it's not me. It never was me anyway. So I'll just enter into your rest. Okay, I'm going to fly through the rest of these passages. Uh, we've done those ones. Will you rest? Will you rest? You see, in 1 Peter 1.16, the Bible says that you shall be holy, the ESV says, you shall be holy as I am holy. So God calls us holy. What makes us holy is God calling us holy. What makes us holy is that the work is finished. When God finished his work at creation, he sat down and rested because the work was done and he called the day holy. The work is finished for us as well. And so you are holy. You are holy. Let me read to you. Um, no. Nah. 
Okay. Rest. We need to get to a place. We need to, we desperately want to get to a place where we work from rest and not for rest. And that starts, number one, uh, with a revelation. We need to have a revelation that because he's called us holy, we're holy. And that brings e an ease to our life. And if we're living out of revelation and we're living with that ease, then actually we can sit down. Because the Bible says that Jesus has gone to the right hand of the Father and sat down. Why was he able to do that? Because his work is finished. He said it on the cross, it is finished. And then he went and sat down on the right hand of the Father. Later in Hebrews, it talks about the fact that priests need to stand up and offer day after day after day sacrifices for the sins of people. And when they're done, they sit down, but the next day they just get up and do it all again. But Jesus made his sacrifice and went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And it's the same for you and I. You know, Daz talked a couple of weeks about, about how Jesus turned the water into wine and the church has been trying to turn it back into water ever since. But actually, you know, with this, that Jesus went and sat down and, and gave us the opportunity to sit down and rest as well. We've been standing up and working ever since. We've been trying to get it right. We've been trying to do right, try to do as much as we can rather than let that just flow out of us as we spend time with God, as we are grafted into that tree where the root is holy and through that relationship with God, He works that good in us. So we can sit down. Revelation is sit down. And then we read in chapter 4 that it talks about today. He said, therefore, there exists a day which He called today. Today is the day that you can enter the rest. Because it's not a day and it's not a practice and it's not a place. It's a way of life that you can enter into today. And maybe you know all this. Maybe you've heard all this before. So I just ask you to examine whether you've slipped back into striving. Because I found that even just coming home from holidays and looking at the year, I slipped back into striving again. I slipped back into this, like, oh, it's on me. I've got to work hard. I've got to, rather than just going, okay, Jesus, let your peace sustain me. How are we going to go about this? So today I want to ask you to come to your feet. We're about done. And I'll read you this passage. Two verses from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So here we are at the start of a new year. What do you just need to throw off? It might not be sin. It says there's stuff that you need to throw off. And then it says that there's sin that so easily entangles. And it says, can you throw it off and run with perseverance the race that's marked out for you? Because Jesus has sat down. He's already done it. So he's allowing us to run this race from rest. I'm going to pray this, this morning and I'm just going to pray a, a prayer of just getting rid of stuff as we head into the new year. And uh, if you would like to, I invite you to pray it after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he finished the work and that he sat down at your right hand. Lord, help me to sit down. Help me to stop working. Help me to know what to do. 
and how to do it out of rest. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, the band is just going to sing one chorus right now. And what I'd like you to do, now if you're new to church, this is your first time in church, and I just encourage you, like what I'm going to invite everyone else to do, don't feel that you have to feel it this morning, just do it, because I don't want you to feel out of place or anything like that. But everyone that calls the name of Jesus, um, calls on the name of Jesus and says that they follow Him, I wanted you to actually think through this this morning. And if there's any part of you that you just feel like is on you, I just want you to surrender that to Jesus just as the guys sing this song. And then when you really feel like you know that it's on Him and not on you, I want you to sit down. I want you to actually sit down. I'm not asking you to sing or join in with these guys. Just when you know that it's on Jesus, that you are called to a place of rest and you can actually see Him sat down at the right hand of the Father, that you know it's Him that's done everything, that you sit down as well. Thanks, Marie. Preaches in Gunnedah just before Christmas. I realised that I didn't do a brilliant job of explaining what I was actually talking about at the end because only one person sat down and so I thought I'd really get it right this time. <laughs> and I obviously didn't. So everyone just go ahead and sit down. <laughs> Church, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, covenant brought back from the dead of our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. Because he's equipping you. And may he work in us. Because he's the one who works in us. What is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's give our Lord God a hand this morning. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? 
To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.